Hi again, folks, and a warm welcome, or welcome back, to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. Apologies for the long absence. I thought it was going to be two weeks. Um, as it turned out, it was actually about a month or so. Rest assured, however, we were not just lazing around being on holiday. Well, maybe a week or two we were, but for the rest of that time, we were hard at work putting together our annual Japan Real Estate Property Market Summary Report, as well as our projections for 2021. Now, when I say ours, this isn't strictly the case. What we normally do, and this year was no different, is aside from our own impressions, which are naturally limited to the market segments that we and our clients are mainly active in, we review some of the major annual publications by some of the bigger names in the industry, so these are very clever people, very experienced, and they put together some very thorough summaries and reports of their own. So we're talking about data collated and published by PricewaterhouseCoopers, the Urban Land Institute, um, Seville's, CBRE, Mitsui Fudosan, and many, many others. And we try to bring you the highlights of each of these reports, which are all quite lengthy and detailed. So what we do is we first try to paint a broad picture of the real estate property market landscape in Japan in relation to the Asia-Pacific region as a whole, and then of the region itself to the rest of the world. And then we start drilling down into individual sectors, changes, uh, trends, and of course opportunities in each and every segment, including the more traditional ones, but also the alternative asset classes. And in 2020 especially, we also really wanted to pinpoint some of the socioeconomic causes behind each and every one of these trends or shifts, and also their domestic uh, geographical impact, which again was particularly interesting last year. And then, of course, summarize with some projections, recommendations, and the opportunities that we see in 2021 that result from everything we've then covered. So without further ado, here's Pretty Donnelly, our sales and marketing manager, to present our annual 2020 Japan Real Estate Property Market Review and 2021 projections. I hope you enjoy this report, and don't go away because I shall meet you again on the other side. Today on Japan Real Estate and Business News, our 2020 year-end review and what's in store for 2021. So, 2020, now that was a surprise party no one in the entire world wanted. While the pandemic rocked the global real estate market, the Asia-Pacific region, more specifically Japan, became an eye-opener for investors as the effects on the region were quite subdued. I'm Pretty Donnelly, Sales and Marketing Manager with Nippon Tradings International. Thanks for joining us. To put it into perspective, South Korea was the only country in the APAC region with an uptick of 22% in property transactions and volumes. In Japan, the decline has been fairly marginal with transaction volumes down approximately 22% year-on-year through to September 2020, and that is the best of the worst compared to the five most active markets in the region. Next would be China, with volumes down 25%, just under half the decline of Australia sitting at 43%. Hong Kong is at a staggering 63% decline in year-on-year transactions, having taken nearly three times the hit Japan's property market has suffered. In the land of the rising sun, where 2019 had been characterized by a quest-for-yield frame of mind, 2020 conquered with a flight-to-safety mentality. Let's look at Japan's safe haven compared to other parts of the APAC region. First, during times of volatility, investors tend to seek out markets with deep 
domestic demand and less reliance on foreign trade with a relatively stable currency as Japan is known for. If we take China by comparison, the economy is state controlled and isn't considered a free market, which also means its currency is state controlled and manipulated. Therefore, even though it has one of the world's largest consumer markets, it can never have the tradable status of the yen, euro, or dollar. Second, Japan is not as affected as other markets by volatility because its domestic demand isn't related to the crisis, but rather at a function of the size of the market. Therefore, prices don't come crashing down as quickly. For this reason, Japan's investors can and do, in fact, tend to ride out the storm, and they have the ability to do this because of the practice of abundant savings. Even though J Japanese buyers prefer to purchase domestically rather than venture overseas as a general rule, the size of the market is not only vast, but almost 100% is open to and attractive to foreign freehold ownership. Third, Japan's national environment is far less affected by geopolitical risk. The country's huge available pool of liquid assets and cash-rich tenants in the commercial sector can be described in one word, stability. And this stability is expected to continue for decades to come. The thing to watch is that if rents decline faster than prices, yields will compress as a result. As vacancies increase, rents will decrease. However, overall, Rents have remained relatively stable throughout 2020, particularly in central metropolitan locations. And with the influx of foreign capital to the country, demand is expected to remain relatively high. Now let's switch gears and look at the office and residential sectors. The initial fear was vacancies into 2021 in the office sector because of the quick adaptation to teleworking. However, Japanese companies do not tend to initiate mass layoffs. Therefore, while there may be shifts, the office and residential sector is not expected to dip significantly overall. One shift is to the multifamily residential sector, which has been enjoying a significant rise in popularity, mainly because of its stability in times of crisis. This is notable when compared with commercial real estate, which becomes far more volatile when things go south. The second shift is to smaller offices in distant suburbs, secondary and satellite cities, as well as prefectural capitals. Instead of firing employees to reduce costs from the effects of the pandemic on their bottom line, they downscale from expensive central metro mega offices to work from home when possible with smaller, cheaper suburban offices. When the effects of the pandemic were felt in the second quarter of 2020, new leases came to a halt in most major cities. Grade A rents in Tokyo's central wards contracted out for the first time in almost a decade. Vacancy rates expanded, largely affecting technology firms and startup areas. 
and this bled into grade B properties as well. But here's the silver lining. Because most of the incoming 2021 supply of new office space in Tokyo has been pre-leased for 2023, industry professionals see a potential for recovery. And while there may be an increase in vacancies in these business hubs in central Tokyo and Osaka, other less central commercial hubs are projected to increase in occupancy. And with this comes the need for larger residential space to accommodate home offices, a vast difference from the traditional space reduction trend of the last few decades. The demand for larger residential condo units is seeing an uptick in prices and driving a new trend of construction planning for most residential developers nationwide. Suffice to say, the safe and stable tendency of residential properties and the robustness and diversity inherent in the pool of properties available for purchase by foreign investors in Japan, as opposed to other Asia-Pacific countries, remains a major attraction. Let's look at some of the caveats and resulting opportunities in the market. As expected, the hospitality sector was hit the hardest, partly because of the oversupply of new hotel developments for the upcoming and later postponed Tokyo Olympics and Osaka World Expo events. What is key here is what came out of this setback, the trend of repurposing assets at significant discounts to be converted into flexible floor space rental schemes, shared office space, multifamily residential properties and data centers. The bulk of this distressed property pool is expected to hit the market mid-2021 and investors worldwide are waiting to pounce on these opportunities. Co-living, rental, and share houses have also taken a major blow as the trendy sharing economy is just not viable in a COVID world. Owners of these properties are renovating and implementing co-working spaces and luxury standard residential properties. The complete cessation of international tourism has taken a huge toll on all major retail hubs. Nonetheless, Japan's retail property market managed to avoid a complete meltdown thanks partly to the stubborn and enduring popularity of high street store spaces, train and subway station shops where rents have held steady. Retail has already been hit hard since 2018 with the surge of e-commerce. Therefore, the strategic reshuffling has already begun. Now I'll take a moment to talk about J. REITs. Even though investors are finding great bargains, these investment vehicles have been trending down significantly in their share cost to net asset value ratios. Here's the point to note. While the assets under ownership themselves have not decreased in value significantly, the funds holding them have been heavily discounted, particularly in the office and hospitality sectors, presenting excellent opportunities for value investors interested in capitalizing on this trend. The asset class of choice for both domestic and foreign investors is the logistics sector. Now, this is a very heated asset class, particularly of interest to institutional investors. Supply is short, and this sector represents the smallest portion in commercial real estate, yet 
sharply driving up prices for relevant land plots in close proximity to big metropolitan centres. This trend has been greatly inflated in the last two years due to the ever-increasing shift from brick-and-mortar to online retail and e-commerce. Now, generally, when yields are more reasonable, it makes sense to simply buy assets that are already developed. This, naturally, saves buyers the hassle and delays of construction. However, since yields are now becoming far more compressed, as the asset class heats up and prices rise, investors have instead turned to buying land, then developing and constructing facilities on their own, just so they can turn a reasonable profit in a very heated market segment. What about Tokyo? Can Tokyo actually lose its mojo? Well, approximately 10,000 Tokyoites have been leaving the city monthly and being relocated to work from home. Therefore, you could expect a shift of population away from Tokyo and other metropolitan city centers, not only to suburbia, but also towards secondary and satellite cities such as Fukuoka, Nagoya, Saitama, Kobe, and perhaps even rejuvenate previously struggling towns and villages in Japan's countryside. Both local and national governments are encouraging this practice by offering various incentives to those who choose to relocate. From a real estate investment perspective, however, if high central city rents for offices and retail spaces were no longer sustainable, residential properties would seem to be the play for investors in the foreseeable future. In fact, of the 3 trillion Japanese yen in real estate property investments that have been measured by the third quarter of 2020, residential property investments have actually soared by approximately 71% year-on-year, with foreign investors accounting for two-thirds of the total. Another key takeaway are the shifts in alternative assets classes. Here are our top four. Number one, the co-living space hailed until last year as one of the most popular emerging alternative asset class has all but died under the current new normal. Number two, the healthcare and nursing home sector, as well as assisted senior living, particularly in the upper end luxury segments. This remains as essential as ever for the world's fastest aging society. Revenues and popularity continued to trend upwards, although costs of readjusting to the COVID environment with virus prevention measures and increased compensation for staff does weigh on profits and slightly dampens the said upward trajectory path. In conjunction with these hard healthcare assets, many J-REITs have also dramatically expanded their exposure to this sector, increasing the total healthcare assets under management by 37.3%, in comparison with only a 4.4% total increase in all sectors combined between December 2019 and September 2020. Number three, Data centers continue to be an extremely popular asset class, and it's obvious why. Much needed as the secure and stable infrastructure supporting the shift from physical retail to e-commerce, and even much more so during the pandemic. 
data centers are also crucial for the significant increase in data as a result of the imminent rollout of the 5G mobile communications network and the work-from-home trend is placing an even higher demand on existing infrastructures out of the city centers. No question that the, the demand is there, but operating these facilities poses a challenge. And they remain in the domain of owners, occupiers who are heavily into tech or renters such as IT systems, integrators and telcos, telecommunication companies. Number four, student housing is a surprising asset class doing extremely well in spite of the temporary ban on foreign students entering the country. Kioritsu Maintenance, a major student housing operator, has recently revealed that occupancy in their dormitory business segment was still over 90% as of September 2020. Lots to digest. Here's a quick sum up. Distressed opportunities can be found in the hospitality and former co-living and retail sectors. They require either significant capital to ride out the current storm or equally high or higher capital for repurposing and creative use of such assets. In other sectors, while the market is certainly softer, it may be wiser to wait for the second or third quarter of 2021 when institutional and corporate landlords will likely begin to sell far more attractive commercial assets at far more significant discounts. Residential properties remain the asset class of choice for the vast majority of investors, mainly in secondary and satellite cities and professional capitals, and these locations are now becoming hotter still due to the commercial shift from central business districts in Tokyo and Osaka toward other such locations. Where cash cows have for years been the smaller size condo units, there has been a shift toward larger properties to allow for space to work from home, spend more time at home. These properties are in short supply and subject to rapidly increasing demand. In alternative assets, healthcare, nursing homes, and senior assisted living, as well as student housing assets, have been maturing nicely with opportunities for a wider segment of the investor population opening up. Caution, however, is advised in the logistics sector, which may be a better play for institutional investors. Jay Reitz, while already among the most popular globally and in spite of losing a large portion of their value in the hardest hit sectors, are now excellent buys due to the gap between their share prices and the nav of their underlying assets. To close this segment, I want to stress that the smaller, more affordable properties owned by less cash-rich individuals and companies are being sold quite cheaply right now. This is the majority of properties which our foreign investor clients tend to focus on. Please drop us a line at info at nippontradings.com to ask us about prices within your budget and criteria if you want to capitalize on these opportunities.
Okay, so there you have it. As Pretty was saying, plenty to digest in there, a lot of opportunities to consider and a lot of things to watch out for. A lot of shift changes in the national landscape as far as asset classes, uh, locations, types of properties are concerned. A lot of this is not what anyone was expecting around the end of 2019, of course, but nothing was really as expected last year. So no real surprise there. Or rather, we were expecting the unexpected, so to speak. So we were not really disappointed, if you can call it that. And again, as she was mentioning at the end there, these are all macro trends that we're discussing in this report. So when you drill down to the nitty gritty, things can and do change significantly. So for instance, if we're talking about smaller, older units for lower income tenants, uh, the work from home shift may not apply at all or not nearly as much. So relocating or switching to home office mode isn't really relevant if the majority of your tenants are shop staff or shift workers or pensioners and students and so forth. Similarly, if you're, say, investing in accommodation in some of Japan's uh, U.S. Army and Navy bases, like more and more people are considering doing these days, probably not much is going to change for you as far as the types of assets that you're looking at are concerned. But even these segments of the market, which might be affected less by everything we've discussed, are definitely going to be influenced to some degree by some of these changes in all sorts of ways. So if you want to talk shop about anything specific, we're always happy to do that. No strings or obligations of any sort attached. And if you enjoyed Pretty's coverage of recent events, trends, and news from Japan's business economy and property arenas, be sure to subscribe to her podcast as well. We'll link to it in this episode's show notes. So she and I would love it if you could let us know what you thought of our annual report in the comments section of wherever you might have found this episode. And even more so, if you could share our podcast with your networks, if you think they might find it interesting as well. And of course, leave us a review or a star rating, at least on the iTunes store. Help share the love with the rest of the world. Help us reach more and more people who could benefit from this content. Now, you may have noticed we haven't spoken at all about our sponsors on this episode. They're still with us, of course, but we just wanted to really focus on the content just for this one episode. And if you would like us to help you as well reach more English speakers who are either living in Japan, working or active in some field that's somehow connected to the country or just have any sort of interest in Japan generally, we're also happy to share our sponsorship programs with you. Drop us a line on this topic as well. You'll probably be surprised at how affordable advertising on the podcast is. I know our current sponsors definitely were and they're already reaping the results uh, or so they tell us. So that's it from us for today. Thanks again for tuning in to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. It was great to have you with us. And here's to a fantastic new year, although maybe a bit less excitement could be nice this time around. I think we've all had more than enough of that last year. And we will be here with you, of course, keeping you up to date and clued in with all things related to this exciting market, as always. Hope to have you with us again next time. We'll be getting back to the weekly format from here on, whenever possible at least. So until next time, have a great day or night ahead. Yoshiku. Yoshiku.